from Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, He may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, uh, that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some of her hus- gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. This is the word of the Lord. Now you may be seated. Well, good morning. If I have not met you yet, I am Pastor Anthony. I was not here last week because I was on a flight back from beautiful Southern California. They had a thing there in the morning called cold weather. And you could wear a sweatshirt. And it was glorious and hit 80 and my family complained. And I said, be silent, Satan. Uh, but I was there for my 20-year high school reunion. And you're like, oh, some of you are like, oh, you're such a baby. And others are like, I didn't know you were that old. Um, and it was actually a really fun time. I didn't know what to expect. My best friend from high school, he lives in Ohio. He's like, let's go. I'm like, well, I don't know why, but let's go. And... Um, and it was, we're 20 years out, we're 20 years into adulthood, and everyone, I was concerned, everyone was going to be like posturing, be like, oh, life's amazing. And most people were like, yeah, we have toddlers and we hate our lives and it's fine, like, it's great. And, um, and I'm like, how do you live in California? They're like, we're just waiting for our parents to die so we can have their house. So that's, that's the plan if you're 30-something living in Southern California. And, uh, but after talking with enough people throughout the evening, Many of whom, like, I don't know, remember who you are, and I still don't know, and I'll never see you again, so let's just end the conversation now. But uh, talking to many people, it just was, uh, it was evident that we've lived enough life where, like, we realize life is really difficult. Like, I graduated in 03, where life, this is amazing, and then the economy collapsed when I graduated from college, and we just kind of have to accept the fact that life is really difficult. I was talking to... Uh, one, one lady I've known since like first grade, her grandma lived across the street from me and she lost her husband when they were 36 years old to, he was a soldier and he lost his life in combat. And she's just picking up the pieces of that still. Talked to another, uh, lady, friend, person I knew growing up and she just was sharing how because of life circumstances that really, uh, she, she had to give up the custody of her children and at almost 40 years old she's trying to piece her life back together. Life is really hard. And our, our story this morning, our passage, comes from Genesis 3. In the religious circles, we call it the fall. And it's kind of where uh, the Christian trying to explain like why this world is so messed up. But it's a weird story. Hey, oh, it's there. Amen. Thank you, Mike. It's a really weird story. It involves this... And I'm back. All right. I'm just, hold on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
There we go. I'm, I'm using this one the rest of the time. Um, there's this man and woman in this magical garden, and there's a talking serpent, a snake of some sort, this reptile. It's very odd. And throughout history, there have been people trying to wrestle, what does this story actually mean? Why is this story um, uh, here? And for many people, I sent a text out to a bunch of people, some of you this week, to say, what comes to mind? What questions come to mind when you hear this passage? And it came many, many of the same answers from like 20, 25 different people. Uh, why did God allow the serpent in the garden? Why did he create these trees that he knew? If God knows everything, why would he create this tree that would lead to like the damnation of the human race? Um, uh, what, what, was the, what would have happened if Adam and Eve didn't eat the fruit? And many of you have those same questions probably, right? And here's the good news. I'm not answering any of those this morning because really they can't be answered. They really can't. We can talk about it. We can wrestle about it. We can have ideas and thoughts. But really, at the end of the day, humanity has been wrestling with where does this evil come from in the world? Why is life so difficult? Um, some of the best art in the world have been created from poetry to, to music to visual art around this story of Genesis 3. I was listening to a record from someone posted online, like, this is a great record. And it's not like a Christian record by any means. And on my way in this morning, the first song is called The Fall. I'm like, huh, interesting. Uh, one of my favorite bands growing up was called Pedro the Lion. Anyone besides Pastor Danner know who they were? Anyone? No, you guys just are not cool enough to know who they were. But uh, the singer of the band was called David Bazan. And kind of in the early 2000s, it was like Christian rock. He was like you know, smoke cigarettes and drink, like, alcohol on the side, and he was, like, a, a cool Christian, but over the course of the last two decades, he himself, uh, David Bazan, the this, this singer, says he's broken up with God, and his first solo record is called Curse These Branches, and the first song on that record is called Hard to Be. You can see him wrestling with this biblical story. And he, he opens this so the record with this song called Hard to Be, and Danner was like, are you going to sing it? I'm like, oh, we're going to sing it. And, it. and the chorus is this. It's hard to be, hard to be, hard to be a decent human being. Can you sing that with me? It's hard to be, hard to be. Hard to be a decent human being. Does that resonate with you? Being a human is difficult. Being a human is hard. But to, before we can get into what this story may be trying to do, we need to step back a couple verses. In Genesis 2, we read, and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So of all these trees, the author points out that there's these two particular trees. And then we read, And the Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. All of this is good. You may eat of it. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. 
It's as if the Lord God is saying to his creature, all of this is yours. But he doesn't do like the typical dad, because I said so. He's like, you can't eat of this because you're going to die if you eat it. It's going to bring harm to you. And then questions for me, does, does the first man even know what death is? Like, is it pre-wired in him? He knows that there's this evil thing that wants to take the life from him. The scriptures doesn't answer that. But everything here is this gift that God created saying, Adam, you may eat of all of it. It's good for food. It's beautiful to the sight. And in the rest of chapter 2, God creates woman, Eve, by blowing into the... uh, He takes from the, the side of Adam that he blew his breath into the dust to even make... And then it ends with, uh, they were naked and unashamed. I guess in children's church, they were drawing pictures of Adam and Eve. There's pictures of naked people on my chair. So that's the kind of church we're at now, right? It's a weird story. And then we get to Genesis 3. If you didn't think it was weird, now it gets really weird. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And then he begins to speak. Weird. He said to the woman... Did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? Now, real quick, if I were to give you this microphone and I would say, did God actually say this, would you be able to call it back right away, this command? Now, you might be thinking, Eve wasn't created yet, but the Hebrew there is in the plural that this was a command that was given to all of God's creatures. And, and, and the serpent begins to, to call question into Eve's mind. Did God actually say that you may not eat of any tree in the garden? And then Eve's response, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. She's like, no, 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 actually, the Lord God said, we may eat of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, which is interesting that she says that, because that's not in the original command in Genesis 2. For whatever reason, she added, you shall not touch it, lest you die. She knew that that this was a warning that if you eat of this tree, there's consequences. And with that question, God plants a little seed of doubt, of question into Eve's mind. But then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So now the the serpent actually uh, starts to contradict, defy what the Lord God said. He goes on to say, for God knows That when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Which is interesting that the serpent knows this because in Genesis 2, you don't see that part of the commandment there. But in Genesis 3, the Lord God's like, oh no, their eyes have been opened. So, what happens? When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise she took of its fruits and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate they had been deceived the serpent said if you eat of this then you'll be like god which is actually ironic because uh, this whole series called We Are Creatures, last week Pastor Danner showed us in a great way of what it means to be made in the image of God, what it means to be a creature. Adam and Eve were in Eden. They were in perfect communion with one another, with the Lord God, and with all of creation. They were representing who God had made them to be in perfection. And yet this doubt, this lie got them to question what God had already said was true about them. 
And then we see that she, she delighted in this tree, or in the fruit of the tree, that she took from it. It could be translated, she grasped for it. And we, in like our American individualistic minds, like, yeah, she saw what she wants and she took it. What's wrong with that? The words used here for delight and took throughout the Old Testament are often used in a negative light. As in, he took her for himself and abused her or grasp for something that was not his. What Eve is doing here is actually, uh, it's painted in a negative way, that she took for herself out of this selfish, ambitious, prideful way, something that was never intended for her or for her husband. And Adam is just as guilty in this. Man, you cannot be like, oh, this is all woman's fault. Nope, actually you should, no, that's a whole other sermon. Guilty across the board here. And they redefined what was good and evil in their own sight. Now, there's two ways we can look at this passage. That's why we started in Genesis 2. Because it's actually in this that the Lord God wasn't setting Adam and Eve up to fail. He was actually giving them a gift, saying, all of this is yours. Enjoy all of it, but because I love you, do not partake in this one tree. Why was the tree there? I don't know. And we never will know. And in the new creation, you'll probably be so in awe of being in perfection, you're not really going to care anymore. But it was there. But it was a gift. God saying, all of this is yours. Trust me. Or how we normally typically read it, or skeptics of the scripture, and even David Bazan in his song, as he, he really critiques and kind of mocks this Genesis story, where we see God as a cosmic killjoy, as one author put it. That God doesn't want us to have any fun. Like this thing over here will show you wisdom and delight and all of this, so don't touch it. But what happens? They eat it, and the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The serpent was right. Their eyes were opened. They didn't die right away. Not yet. But what they thought, the opening of their eyes, this wisdom the serpent talked about, would lead to life and flourishing actually led to the diminishing of the human experience. So if you read the rest of the story, from this one act of rebellion, the story gets worse and worse and worse. Instead of human flourishing, instead of communion with each other and creation of the Lord God, we see power grabbing, we see deceit, we see sexual abuse, we see murder over and over and over and over. It's hard to be, hard to be, hard to be decent human being. You feel the weight of that. So what's the point of this story? Is it just a little fairy tale we tell our kids to actually behave? Or is there something bigger going on? Tim Mackey, the creator of the Bible Project, and he's a biblical scholar. I'm paraphrasing what he poses is behind this story, or one of the angles. He says, 
this is me translating. <laughs> the biblical story puts a question before us, meaning humans, us this morning. Are we going to trust God's declaration of what is good, or are we going to know good and evil on our own terms? Are we going to receive good from God, or take good and define it in our own terms? So I've been sitting with this story. I, I don't think it was the act of the biting of the fruit that like, just spurted like poison on everyone. I think it was already deep-rooted in their hearts long before that, that that was the, the, the sign of that something had gone wrong in their hearts, that Adam and Eve just, just decided to define what is good and evil on their own terms instead of receiving everything as gift. They didn't trust that God was good. They thought God was holding out on them, and they wanted to, to see if they could bring human flourishing on their own. And how much of the brokenness we see that we experience, that we actually participate in this world, at the heart of it is humans trying to insert their will, their desire of what is good on someone else. How many of the, the wars fought throughout history, the social injustice, the brokenness in your own family or at your workplace is actually humans just trying to redefine good and evil in their own sights and forgetting what the Lord God said. Now it's really easy to look and think about those people out there, but what about this guy right here? But we have to be honest that we actually participate in this day in and day out. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you might have this tension in you, like where you're like, I know what I should be doing, but I can't seem to do it. I keep doing the things I don't want to do. We're just echoing the words that St. Paul wrote in Romans 7, where he has this struggle of this back and forth. He has the Spirit of God living in him, but he can't seem to live up to them. It seems like everything he does seems to be tainted by this curse that happened generations ago. But in Romans 7, he's going on just back and forth, this struggle, and then he just kind of cries out, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And he goes, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now you may be sitting here, if you've been part of a Lutheran tradition for a while, you're like, oh, this is where the pastor says, don't worry, Jesus died for your sins, go home. Like, yes, that's true, praise be to God that he died for your sins, but what if there's actually something much, much deeper going on here? That there's a more uh, powerful, compelling story that we're part of. After Adam and Eve sin, the Lord God finds them and they're, they've crafted like these silly little like loincloths to cover them. Like, and the Lord God finds them and he, the Lord God actually is pursuing them saying, not like, where are you? But like, where are you? What have you done? And he pursues them and he finds them and, and Adam and Eve, they confess their sin like with much shame with you. Like this woman, the serpent. And finally they own it like, yeah, we did this. And he looks at the serpent and says, The day is coming, serpent, when I will crush your head. You will not win this battle. But then he looks at Adam and Eve, and there's consequence to their sin. They're, they're cast out of Eden. But he looks at their silly little coverings. It says he clothed them in garments of skin. 
This is actually alluding to something. Just like this, this one is coming who will crush the head of the serpent. For skin to cover you, what does skin come from? An animal. How do you take that skin from an animal? It has to give of its life. That we see this first sacrifice. And the Lord God takes the sacrifice of this animal and clothes his creatures and covers them from their shame. And this is the story that is pointing to something, to the one who's going to come that will ultimately cover all of our shame, all of our brokenness, redo what you and I live into the brokenness of each and every single day. And we see this pattern in, in Israel's history in the Old Testament over and over of them, of them rebelling, trying to define good and evil on their own terms and God pursuing them and forgiving them and them coming back in repentance and then rebelling and then forgiveness and rebelling and forgiveness. And finally, history goes silent for generations and then Jesus shows up on the scene and in Matthew, before Jesus starts his public ministry, he goes in the desert where he is tempted by the devil. And words like, did God really say? If you just do this. And he starts doing what he did to Adam and Eve. But Jesus is the true, better, perfect human. And he stands in the place of where Adam and Eve rebelled. He stands in the place where Israel rebelled. He stands in the place where you and I rebel. And he remains faithful to his heavenly Father on your behalf and my behalf. And most of the, the miraculous things Jesus is doing throughout the gospel accounts is him reenacting where God's people have been unfaithful for years, for generations. And he is the one being the true human, the true creature on your, for you and for me. Over the summer, we went through the letter of Ephesians and Philippians, and a big theme in those letters is to put on Christ. Just as the Lord God put on this, the garment of skin on Adam and Eve to cover their shame, to cover their, their sin, that you and I, if we've been baptized in the waters of baptism, we have put on Christ. Last service, little one-year-old Noah received the waters of baptism, that in those waters of baptism, God put himself on that child saying, you are mine, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, and now it's the parent's job and your job and my job to help disciple that child and what it means to be a creature made in God's image for all the days of his life. That you and I have had God, had Christ put on us to redefine, to give us our dignity back. No longer sin and rejection of our creatureliness, but accepting it and receiving it in God's grace and His mercy. As I've been thinking of Bazan's song over the last week, he says, it's hard to be a decent human being. And part of me goes, yes. And part of life, it's just hard. Like, life is hard. It just is. But throughout his song, he, he critiques the story, but he never gives a better answer to the story. His song actually leaves you feeling very hopeless and like, well, this is all meaningless and pointless. But maybe for him, for, for Bazan, I don't know where he's at, but for him, it was just be about being a decent human being. And for many Christians, that's, what, oh, I'm just good enough. That's all this is really about, being a nice little good boy or girl, just well-behaved. But that's not the point of the Christian life. 
The point of the Christian life is actually to fix our gaze upon the one, not the, the decent human, human being, but the ultimate perfect human being who is the Christ, who is the Messiah, who is Jesus. As we are called and baptized into his family, your job, my job, our calling, our invitation, our joy and honor is to reflect that image to the world around us. Because every human is made in God's image, but some have chosen to reject it while others we choose to embrace it and live into it. So I don't know what it looks like for you. It's going to look different for the empty nester than it does with a family of a bunch of toddlers. It's going to look different for a Fortune 500 company owner or a greeter at Walmart. All are done in the image of God with dignity and glory when partnered with Jesus. So it's hard to be a decent human being, but day is coming when we'll see Jesus in his glory, that the tree in the new Jerusalem all the nations will gather that life flows from it in Jesus. So this story puts a question before you and I. Do we trust that God is good or do we try to define him on our own terms? And the answer is yes. But the ultimate answer is we look to Christ who has clothed us in his glory and his righteousness and live into what he's called us to do. So Father, Son, and Spirit, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room and watching online, I pray your spirit upon us. I pray you give us discernment to, to, to trust you and to lean into you and to choose what is good, true, and beautiful on your terms, not our terms. I cast out the evil one in the name of Jesus Christ, in any of our hearts or minds, for any decisions we have to make this week, for any situations we're walking into at the home or the office place this week. Lord, that we reflect your image and we we trust you and follow you faithfully, all because of what you've done for us.